It is completely ridiculous that you guys showed up this morning. Honestly, it is totally insane that you chose to be here. I mean, think about it. There are all these other people in the city of Calgary, and they're enjoying their day off. They're sleeping in. They're having brunch. They're gathering with their family and grandkids. They're doing Easter egg hunts. I mean, they are enjoying the holiday with ease. But not you. You chose to pass on all of that, or at least to pass on it for a few hours, so that you could come to church. And it's not just that you came to church, but that you came to a church where we worship a guy who lived 2,000 years ago on the other side of the planet, right? This guy that we were singing about this morning, this man that we're going to be talking about throughout the next, oh, 20, 25 minutes or so, this man was not a politician. He wasn't a philosopher. He wasn't a military conqueror. No, he was a carpenter, a carpenter, you guys, a blue-collar average Joe. I almost said average Joe six-pack, but that's probably not a great way to refer to Jesus. So I'll just say that he was an average Joe, blue-collar carpenter. Now, in case you didn't know, maybe you're not super familiar with what Christians believe and things. That's totally cool. We're glad you're here. We've created this church for people who are just like you, who are interested in faith, but you don't even know where to start. It might surprise you to know that as Christians, we believe that this blue-collar carpenter was a perfect human being. We believe that he never did anything wrong. He never hurt anyone else. Oh, and by the way, we also believe that nearly every day of his adult life, he worked miracles with his own hands. I mean, isn't that completely insane? Doesn't that sound nutty to you that we would gather 2,000 years later on the other side of the planet to celebrate this carpenter? Have you ever met a plumber and thought to yourself, hmm, this guy could be the Messiah? <laughs> of course not. Of course not. If you told your family, listen, I think I found God in the flesh. He was my plumber. He showed up to unclog our toilet. They would schedule an intervention. And not only that, but listen, if you come to my house and you want to work on the sink, when you bend over, if you display anything back here, I will not be your disciple. That is a deal breaker. <laughs> deal breaker. And yet, we've all gathered this morning to worship Carpenter, who lived so long ago on the other side of the planet. Of course, the nuttiest part of this whole thing is that we actually believe this Carpenter was put to death as a common criminal on a Friday. And then we actually have the audacity to proclaim that on Sunday, he rose from the dead and that he is alive today 2,000 years later. I mean, look, I don't know what your experiences have been in life, but people coming back from the dead only happens in comic books, right? And usually it has the word zombie attached to it. So this is not something that we would expect. This is not something that makes sense. In fact, most people in our world say, that's crazy, Come on, you don't seriously buy all this Jesus story, do you? 
Now, the interesting thing to me is that we are not the first people to struggle with understanding and wrapping our brains around the entire story of Jesus, in particular, his death, burial, and his resurrection. Let me show you what one of his earliest followers, a man by the name of Paul, he was a church starter, planter, he was a missionary and pastor, and this is what he had to say on the subject of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, verse 23. Look at what this one verse says here. He says, so when we speak of the crucifixion of Christ, it is, and look at the words he uses, it is foolishness to people who aren't religious, and it's scandalous to people who are. I'm going to read that one more time because you just need to think about that for a sec. We're going to let this settle in over this morning. When we speak of the crucifixion of Christ, it is foolishness to people who aren't religious, and it is scandalous to those who are. Foolishness? Scandalous? Maybe Paul wasn't as good a pastor as we thought he was, right? I thought when we gathered on Easter, we were going to be talking about victory and hope and life. And we are. The Bible certainly uses those words to describe Jesus' death and resurrection. But believe it or not, the scripture actually also acknowledges that for so many of you, this story about a carpenter who was a perfect miracle-working man who died as a criminal and then rose from the dead, it sounds like total foolishness to some of you. And for some of you, it even sounds scandalous. You cannot understand how anybody could buy into or believe this story. So this morning, what I'm not going to do is I'm not going to minimize the foolishness or the scandalousness of the story of the death and resurrection of Jesus. In fact, I'm going to lean hard into it. I'm going to do my best to convince you that the death and resurrection of Jesus is more absurd than you ever imagined. But... It's precisely because it's so unexpected. It's precisely because it seems so backwards and contrary to common sense. It is precisely because it is so foolish and scandalous that it has the power to change your life. So let's dig into those two words for a sec this morning, that word foolishness and that word scandalous. Let's dive in. Why does Paul use the word foolishness? Why would he say that the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus are foolishness, in particular to unbelievers, people who are not religious, not Christians? Why would they say this is foolish? Well, I've already mentioned some of the obvious things, right? Jesus was a small town carpenter in Israel. It's not like he was a man of power or authority. And there are a bunch of other reasons that we could give as well. But can I just tell you, we'll just cut right to the chase here this morning. The reason that most non-religious people find this story of Jesus foolish, it's not because of his death. It's really because of his resurrection right? I mean, it makes sense if you really think about it. If the average person in the city of Calgary, if they think about the death of Jesus, the crucifixion, that's kind of a story that makes sense to them. I mean, they understand from a secular or a non-religious perspective how the crucifixion of Jesus could have come about. In most people's minds, Jesus said some things and did some things in ancient Israel that challenged the religious and political power structures in his day. And so he was put to death. 
He was a wise teacher who unfortunately became a martyr. And so if you're here this morning and you're not a particularly religious person, or if you know religious people, this is what they believe the story of Jesus really boils down to. When you strip away the myth, when you strip away the legend, when you kind of pull it all apart, ultimately, we get a story that we can understand. A teacher who said the wrong things to the wrong people and ended up dying as a martyr. That makes sense. We can wrap our brains around it. And I'll tell you guys, if that's all there is to the story of Jesus, if there's only the crucifixion, then there are many, many, many intelligent people in our city who would gladly be followers of Jesus because they can always choose a wise man or a guru and put his you know, teachings into practice and all that sort of stuff. That's easy. That is a story that makes sense. But according to the people who saw this all go down firsthand, the story didn't end on Friday. It didn't end with a crucifixion central to our beliefs and central to their story and message was that Jesus was not just crucified, but that he rose from the dead three days later. That's the point where most non-religious people say, foolishness. That is total foolishness. There's no way I could believe that somebody came back from the dead. That is the stuff of myths. It's the stuff of fairy tales and cartoons. No way. I just write it off. I cannot believe any of it. You see, when you get right down to it, the resurrection of Jesus is offensive to non-religious people. It's the resurrection that's offensive to your non-churched neighbor. Like the idea that they have to believe that this guy died and then rose from the dead, no way, that's that's silly. That's, That's child's stories, right? If we are sophisticated, educated Western people, we know that nobody comes back from the dead. And so this idea, this central belief, the thing that we have gathered here to celebrate today, the reason this theater is not 100% full, it's pretty full, thank you, by the way, for coming out, but the reason that it's not 100% full, uh, full is because most of our city thinks This is total foolishness, you guys. You're wasting your time. You should have stayed home and ate chocolate bunnies. He says it's foolishness. Not only that, but he goes on and he uses a different word here. He uses the word scandalous. And it's interesting to me that he chooses such a strange word to describe the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. And and I wonder why is it that the crucifixion and resurrection is so scandalous, particularly to religious people? Well, I think I can help you to understand why he would use that word and why religious people would think this is a scandal. If we look at one other thing Paul wrote in the book of Romans, Romans chapter number four, verse 25, it's a very, very short verse of scripture. And the Bible says this, Christ was crucified for our sins. That's what the scripture says, that Jesus was crucified for my mistakes and screw-ups, for all of my mess-ups and transgressions and sins. That's the reason Jesus went to the cross. Now, here's the thing. Religious people like me struggle with every single word in that sentence. I don't like any of it, to be quite frank with you, because the idea of a crucifixion 
is scandalous. We don't really know about the crucifixion in the 21st century, so let me just kind of catch you up to speed and why people in the first century would have been like, uh, you're following a guy who was crucified? That's totally nuts, you guys. It's been said, I mean, well, let me just back up and say, you do understand that crucifixion was the Roman death penalty. Do you understand that? It was the death penalty in their judicial system. It was the equivalent of the electric chair or the firing squad. It was just a lot more horrific. We read from ancient sources outside of the Bible that when crucifixion happened, it wasn't just to execute somebody, but the whole point and intent of this method was to humiliate and to degrade somebody, to torture them before they died. We know that before uh, Jesus was crucified, he was beaten. He was stripped naked. By the way, usually when you see, um, you know, uh, crucifixes or pictures of the uh, crucifixion of Jesus, he's got that nice little loincloth. That's for you. That wasn't for him. He didn't get one of those. When Jesus hung on a cross, dude was totally exposed, completely. He was nailed to these two pieces of wood, and then he was lifted up, the Bible says. It was common practice for them to raise the crosses right in front of the city gates so that everybody who walked by had to see the shame of these criminals that were being executed. Hey, speaking of which, you may not know that in ancient Roman times, Romans didn't even crucify other Romans. It was only the lowest classes of people in their world that were ever subjected to this execution. So when we read about Jesus being crucified, he's getting the death of a slave, the death of a rebel, the death of somebody who doesn't even deserve a quick end, okay? The the Romans had a law that prevented other Romans from being executed in this way. So I want you to think about this for a sec. This is why that religious people would find the idea of a crucifixion so scandalous. Society devises a method of execution that is so cruel and humiliating, they won't even use it on their own people. Then as Christians, we believe God comes to earth in the flesh in the the form of a person named Jesus. And when he shows up, we arrest God, we beat God, we degrade God, then we execute God. That is the central teaching of the Christian religion. It's what we believe and that's why I'm here. How scandalous a thought is that? To think that when God showed up, we treated him the worst way we could possibly devise. He is our God, our maker, and that's how we treated him. So it's not that surprising that a religious person would say, no, that's kind of a scandalous teaching. I'm not sure that we could even treat God that way. But honestly, the, the scandal in this story goes a little bit deeper than that. Because not only does it say that Christ was crucified, it says that Christ was crucified for our sins. Do you understand that religious people tend to think of themselves as good people? Maybe you know some religious people and they're constantly telling you what a good person they are. I mean, honestly, religious people rarely think of their own sins. They like to focus on the sins of others, if you know what I mean. 
And so when we as religious people, I'm talking about myself, when we as religious people do think about our sins, we immediately go to the good stuff that we also do. We minimize our sins and our mistakes and the way we treat each other. And we're like, oh, but I also go to church and I give money in the offering and I pray every day. And so it's really not that big of a deal. This is why nearly every religion in the world, in fact, every religion besides this one, and I'll explain in a sec, every religion is actually a variation on the exact same thing. Every religion says something is broken in our world, and every religion says the way that we're going to fix it is for you guys to be better. That's why Islam says follow the five pillars and we'll create a just society. That's why Buddhism calls us to follow the Noble Eightfold Path. Do these eight steps, and all of a sudden, our problems will be solved. That's exactly why we have to do karma, right? Good deeds to be free from the Hindu reincarnation cycle. That's why our Jewish friends say, here are Ten Commandments. Follow them, and God will be happy. Every single religion is basically the same theme. The only difference is precisely what we're supposed to do at the end. But the Bible tells us, this is where Christianity really is different from every other religion under the sun. Because whereas every other following will tell you that you need to pay for your mistakes, you need to make right what you've done wrong, Christianity is the only one on earth that says the weight of our individual and collective sin is so great, the only one who could do anything about it is God himself. So, Easter confronts self-righteous, arrogant religious people like me who think we've got our lives together, we don't do X, Y, and Z, and so, you know, God's got to be pretty happy with us. If we get right down to it, the resurrection is offensive to non-religious people, but the cross is offensive to religious people. So, we're not left with a lot of room here. If everybody is offended by Easter, which is so funny to me because Easter is normally like the real happy, clappy, we're celebrating sort of holiday, but when you actually dig into it, do you know that Easter is the most absurd and offensive holiday on your calendar? It is absurd and offensive on every front, no matter who you are or what you believe. You are completely nuts if you buy into this or you see something deeper in the story. Why would God choose such a confusing and confrontational path? I mean, if he needed to save us, if we needed to snap out of it and start behaving, wouldn't there have been a better way for him to do this as opposed to sending his son to die on the cross and then raise from the dead? Surely he could have come up with a more believable plan. It's funny because the Apostle Paul actually confronts that. He answers that question. If we go back to 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, we read verse 23 a minute ago. We're going to read verses 24 and 25. And look at what he says here. As we read, he said, When we speak of the crucifixion of Christ, it is foolishness to people who are not religious, and it is scandalous to those who are. But then look at the next two verses. He says, But to those called by God, to salvation. Christ, this carpenter who lived 2,000 years ago, didn't have an Instagram following. He wasn't a business owner. He never ran, ran a country. 
He says, but Christ is both the power of God and the wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans. And God's weakness is stronger than the greatest human strength. You see, according to Paul, one of the earliest followers of Jesus, the way that God's plan happened on Easter is just as important as what God's plan accomplished that day. The way that he did it matters. It is because the idea that God would show up on earth and we would put him to death and then he would raise from the dead to say, ha ha, suckers can't hold me down. The fact that it happened that way, that it is so absurd and it is so confrontational and shocking to me, it is the, that reason that the story can change everything for you. So let me give you three quick things. I promise I'm done in like super five minutes here, okay? Let me tell you, three things, and this is where it gets really practical. This is where it applies to you and exactly what you're going through right now, April 1st, 2018. Why did God choose this method on Easter? The first is to get your attention. That's part of the reason he did it this way. He wanted to get your attention. Have you ever seen an alien invasion movie? I know that was a bit of a hard left turn there. Sorry about that. Um, Have you ever seen, though, like Independence Day or another, you know, Arrival or something like that? When the alien ships first show up in the sky, what does everybody do? Kids are playing basketball. They just stop dribbling. They're like, ball still bouncing, you know. That is exactly what the idea of a crucified God is supposed to accomplish. It is supposed to be so shocking, so unexpected, so mind-boggling that you have no choice but to stop and to consider what the heck is even going on. Not only are you supposed to consider what happened on that first Easter, but you're also supposed to consider your part in it. Because in truth, you didn't hate Jesus but you have hated people that were made in the image of Jesus. You didn't lie to get him crucified, but we've all lied to get what we want in this life. You see, we are actually supposed to understand that we're no different than the people who crucified Jesus in the first place. This is supposed to be so shocking, so confrontational that we have to confess and confront the fact that we are guilty just like everybody else. Listen, I'm a pastor of church. I have degrees in the Bible. I try to be a good dude. And the truth of the matter is I am no better than the people who nailed Jesus to the cross. And neither are you. Here's the good thing about Christianity. Christianity does not teach that God loves good people and he hates bad people. Christianity teaches we are all broken and sinful people, and God loves us anyway. There are not good people in this theater and bad people. You're not a bad person. You're not a particularly good person, despite what we might like to tell ourselves. We are simply people. And on the cross, God did everything he could to grab our attention and to orient our minds towards what we really needed to know. And I'll just say, Turns out he was pretty successful, right? Because 2,000 years ago on the other side, or 2,000 years later on the other side of the planet, we're sitting in a movie theater celebrating this day. And so God did what he did because he wanted to grab your attention. Not only that, God did it this way. 
Jesus being nailed to a cross, buried in a tomb, and then rising from the dead. He did it this way to bring you hope. He really wants you to live with hope. The beauty of the death and resurrection of Jesus is that it is proof that God can take the worst circumstances in your life and make something wonderful out of them. Seriously. It gives us true and lasting hope. The things that you call dead, God calls alive. The things that you say are hopeless, situations that are beyond any repair, God says, no, that is a hope-filled situation. Marriages that we say are completely broken and are too far gone, says God says, no, we can pick up the pieces, we can put them back together, and we can heal this thing. Speaking of healing, this story tells us that sick bodies can be healed. If Jesus can come back from the dead, God can deal with whatever issue you are working through today. One children can be returned. Violence can give way to peace in our society. Light can overcome darkness because Jesus overcame the grave. If this guy could lay down his life and pick it up again, I want you to tell me what situation or circumstance in your life or in our world cannot be redeemed. There isn't one. Because God did what he did so that you would live with real hope. Last thing, last reason, is because God did this to, to heal your brokenness. He did. When Jesus hung on the cross, he was both showing something to us and doing something for us. Both of those things were accomplished that Friday and that Sunday. Because of his sacrifice, God will never appear in front of you. Because of what God did, he will never show up in front of you or you'll never stand in front of him and he'll have a long list of every wrong thing you've done in life and he says, okay, how are you gonna make this right? What are you gonna do? How are you gonna fix this? How are you gonna pay for this? What's your plan? The story of Easter is that God takes your big long list of regrets and mistakes and brokenness and sin and he takes it onto himself and he makes it right himself. You don't have to because you can't. If you could, you would have already, but you didn't and you haven't because you can't. You needed God to do it for you. And so this is what happens on the cross. This is what happens when Jesus rises from the dead. All the shame that you have ever felt, all the hurt that you have ever caused somebody else, all the grief that you have ever endured, all the insecurity that you have ever carried around in your life. On the cross, God brought healing and forgiveness and victory to every bit of it to do for you what you have never been able to do for yourself. Listen, guys, I don't know. Maybe it just makes a lot of sense that Easter fell on April Fool's Day this year because this plan, this event that our world says is so foolish and scandalous, it turns out to be God's grand scheme to get your attention, to give you hope, and to heal your brokenness. So then the question is this, what will you do? What will you do? Because you could just say like, oh, that was cool. Music was decent. Yeah, 
dude was all right. He wasn't a terrible speaker. And grab your kids, get your donut, head on about your life. Or you can accept what God has done for you. You can receive what God has offered you today. I'm not asking you to become a Christian. I'm not asking you to join our church. I'm asking you to put your faith and trust in the words that we have read today, that Christ died for our sins. Same guy that wrote all the verses we've read today, he also wrote this in Romans chapter number 10, uh, verses 9 and 10. He says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God has what? Easter, raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. You will be restored. You will find new life. Things will genuinely be different, just like they've become different for me because God grabbed my attention. He gave me hope that I couldn't find anywhere else and he healed my brokenness. I'm gonna invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. If you are ready to make this commitment to Jesus, you are like, God, I'm seeing you with fresh eyes for the very first time in my life. Thank you so much for what you did for me 2,000 years ago. Then I'm just gonna invite you to confess that, to say that in prayer. You can say it verbally with your mouth. You can also say it quietly in your heart. That's okay. The, the point is, we are acknowledging God, maybe for the very first time in our lives. If you're ready to do life with Jesus instead of without him, just say these words after me. Dear Jesus, thank you for giving me forgiveness and a fresh start on the cross. Thank you for giving me hope on Easter and loving me always.